Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, Game of Thrones, Season 8, Episode 4. The Last of the Starks. The Last of the Starks. Me. I love this episode. Me. I don't know what it's called. Do you know what it's called? Well, they didn't even like tell us so much later, you know. It takes it takes less time to like internalize it, unfortunately, so it's hard. Yeah. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. You know me as at Liza Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr liesandarborgold.com and i'm another one of your hosts eliana you might know me as glass table girl on the a song of ice and fire subreddit maybe on the maester monthly podcast or as arithmetric over on twitter with the hashtag floof ghost 2019 in my <laughs> handle right now it's important brand. we'll get we'll get to on it brand. we'll get to it yeah in this episode you'll hear about floof ghost 2019 floof him floof him he's a good boy anyways so this episode is like, it opens up just like the timeline opened up on Twitter today, right? <laughs> what do you mean? Bodies death? everywhere, just dead <laughs> bodies everywhere, everybody discoursing and fighting and just death all over the timeline. Wow, that was a, that was a wild morning. This is like a divisive episode, apparently. I think it's less divisive than last episode, but I don't know. I, sure. I think like... Or pe- I'm like really pos. Okay, I'm really positive about this episode. How are you feeling? So I'm coming at this from the perspective of a Reddit moderator. I think there's still a lot of things that we're seeing, but I think it's less heated the discourse around this episode than it has been for the previous week. And I stayed off of the discourse kind of today. I just like posted things about the episode very vaguely and didn't like sure. interact much. Uh, I just, like, retweeted things and whatever, and I was happy. I was fine. I didn't participate, but I saw, like, there was just a lot of, this was the worst episode. Game of Thrones is garbage. And I don't maybe it's just because, like, I was saying that for years now, <laughs> and everybody suddenly is like, this is the worst show ever. This episode sucked. It ruined everything. And I'm just sitting here like, first they came for Dorne and Sansa, and you didn't say anything. None of you stood up. Yeah. I mean... But I did. I did. Hiss. And now look where we are. Hiss. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I actually, like, I I was just telling you before this, I felt like the shackles came off during this episode. I felt free. I felt like the show can no longer hurt me. There was, like, some dialogue in a scene that most people are really expecting me to like hate. And uh, half of it was good, half of it was bad, but the bad stuff just fell right off me. Didn't even bother me. I'm unbothered. Yeah, I mean... Bad writing cannot burn a Targaryen. So there's, of course, that that whole cycle, right? Of when you have, like, trauma, etc. And I think, you know, we went through the denial phase a few years ago, and then and then anger already. We've got done that for a while, and we had bargaining. Right? We're like, maybe if Winds comes out, it'll be fine. But that, that went in past, and then we had the depression phase. And now I think we're at acceptance. I think we're just there. Yeah, I'm at there, acceptance. And this mm-hmm. is the thing. I'm rated acceptance. I uh, in the real, I especially think this had some compelling moments, some great character moments. I love the character stuff. I if you give me character stuff and a yeah. tiny bit of fan service with maybe some nods to the book, I'm easy. You can satisfy me. Like that's it. You can. Whoop, you got me. 
So this this did it for me. Yeah, I mean, I've just, you know, as I always say, I've accepted that the real Song of Ice and Fire are the books. <laughs> you all thought I was going to say the friends you made along the way. No, fuck that. It's the books. <laughs> you almost had me. I, d- I know I did. I really. I know. I got got. I know. You got got? Like G-O-T? Like Game of fuck, Thrones? Get the fuck out. Get the fuck off this podcast. I, uh, I don't know. Let's jump in. We start with the Winterfell Memorial, which I think was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Again, the show does best when it has like compelling speeches or no dialogue at all, and that's how it opens. And now their watch is ended. Uh, we open with that death by fire. Yes. It it was very moving watching everyone mourn the respective people in their lives. Obviously, they were mourning everyone, but having someone for many of these people to tie themselves to was just it was very nice. And then you see, like, all the fire go up, and it feels just like the battle again, but in our hearts. <laughs> yeah, and I love that little bit that there's, like, the Targaryen death, the Dothraki death, and a northern death all in one, right, burning them. Uh, you have the Dothraki who they have the bodies of the deceased burnt beneath the open sky, or their cows in a funeral pyre mm-hmm. facing the mother of mountains to guide them home. I just thought that was beautiful. That's a great and of course, detail. Yeah, I, I, I really like that. That was, they were all on their backs just towards the sky on those platforms, and it felt very much so like a proper burial for Targaryen, Dothraki, and Northerners all alike. Especially because the Northerners have just adopted that, right? Because of, well, recently readopted, I guess I should say. Uh, the past the wall, Northerners definitely already did this, but burning the bodies. Yeah, burn them. Someone and, uh, whispered. Ugh, that John chapter, yes. Yes. But, of course, I'm going to blather on like I did last episode. One of the best parts was Theon and Sansa putting the Stark pin, taking a Stark pin out of her dress and yes. putting it on Theon. That was, oh, that nailed me in the casket. Ugh. I know. Burn me. Burn me alive. I'm just like, that hurt. That was sad. And that was their brother. And he died a Stark. And he burnt a Stark. He he went on to the afterlife of Stark. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. he didn't have to go to the afterlife as a Stark, but he went back as a good man. And like, I think Sophie Turner has acted the hell out of all of her scenes that have to, I guess, do with Alfie Allen. I mean, you can really see that. Yes. Again, Theon Greyjoy was... Sansa's hero he helped her out of Winterfell he helped her leave her home and he helped her keep her home in the end yeah he did exactly the opposite of what he ever thought he could you know he Mm -hmm. thought he was ruined and thought he was garbage and he still redeemed himself and he did the right thing and of course the framework for the episode really opens with Jorah with mm-hmm. Danny, uh, it, it provides the beginning of Danny's loss and grief that helps kind of propel her arc forward. It starts with Jorah, and of course, we end with one of her other oldest companions in her journey uh, dying, which we will definitely get to. But the framework is just there, it's very yeah. moving. Amelia's acting is just too good. I mean, obviously, we're not a fan of book Jorah, but like, regardless of whether it's book or show, Jorah. Danny still loved him, and that's why it hurt so much when he had to leave during his exile and his betrayal. And then, you know, maybe in the books he comes back, and like, whether we like it or not, he was her old bear. And he did his duty to his queen. Yeah. He loved her. He died for her. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't love Jorah, but I respect him now. I think that I respect him. Uh, 
I respect him. I'll give him that. He was respected. And it was very sad. It was just a sad to see her emotion and watch her say goodbye one last time after she had already had to cradle him. And there's no Drogon here to put his tail around her this time and head around her. It was hard. Yeah. And she has to be the one to burn his body. Again, this is another time she has to say goodbye to someone she loves. Remember, she had to burn... At least she got three dragons out of it last time when she had to burn, like, Drogo. But there's nothing and there on the other end of Jorah. she's losing dragons. Yeah. She's losing everything. It's very sad. It's uh, everything she's worked for and the people that have really held her there. Yeah. And, like, bent her rock. And, and it, it's going. And she's very alone in the north. She, she's alone it, in it, a strange land. She thought it would be home, and it's not. There's no red door here. No Willem. John's speech is pretty moving Uh, Kit hasn't really had a lot to work with I feel like this season as far as speeches and I just think his speech was really nice it was beautiful it echoes you know the aftermath of the Watchers on the Wall battle and the aftermath of all these other battles and uh, we'll read it aloud here hold on I have to put my best Kit voice on (laughs) (laughs) everyone you need to see Chloe's face as she gets into her Kit mode It is our duty and our honor to keep them alive in memory for those who come after us and those who come after them for as long as men shall draw breath. They were the shields that guarded the realms of men and we shall never see their like again. And now they're watching. But now they're watching that. Sorry. Yeah, I was in tears, dude. That was like really moving. I was just like, oh shit. Oh shit. Now they're watching. And, And Ed and Sam. Oh. I know. I loved that, you know, I loved that they, he used a lot of the same language as the Oath of the Night's Watch, regardless of who they are. They were all there together, and they were the Night's Watch together. I also like- The shields that guarded the realms of men. Exactly. And I also love this idea of, like, it is our duty and our honor to keep them alive in memory. I know that I, I'm not sure if I touched yes. on this in regards to the previous episodes, how- yeah, sure, Bran has, can, like, see anything that ever happened in history, but A Song of Ice and Fire, it's called A Song of Ice and Fire. It's very much about that oral history and how we pass things along, the memories that we keep of people, and, like, we see how the Stark siblings remember and always think of, what would Rob have done? Or they think of, what would our father have done? They keep all of these people alive in their memories and i think that's so important and a big backdrop for a song of ice and fire yeah it's very much so based off of legacy and to quote hamilton you know legacy what's a legacy it's planting seeds in a garden that you never get to see yes and that's what ned did he planted seeds in a garden that he never got to see but all of his children are kind of going on to become these great legends and heroes that did something to save the whole world from this threat you know whether or not we feel like the long night was kind of shortish and wasn't as uh crazy as we wanted it to be i mean they still all banded together to save the world from a big threat so it's just this legacy and now it's what they do next yeah for those who come after us yes that was just a beautiful speech but well done well done on the open game of thrones thank you for that that was emotional it was compelling on all parts the characters all did their part there that you did it <laughs> and we wanted space for breathing right we wanted space to mourn all mm-hmm. those people and yeah had you jumped into this from like the end of the episode with all the battle stuff like that wouldn't have worked yeah that would have felt really disrespectful disrespectful 
exhausting. It was as much a send-off for the characters as it was the actors that had yes. just grown up on this show or been on this show for so long. Really just a great send-off. Exactly. And now we celebrate their lives and this victory with the Winterfell Feast. Where, you know, Gendry, uh, I mean, the hound calls him out. He's trying to find Arya. He's like, yo, <laughs> where's Arya? And then on his way trying to find that out, Daenerys uh, legitimizes him and makes him now Lord Gendry Baratheon of Storm's End. Very Aegon the Conqueror parallels mm, here, right? With Oris Baratheon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, raising him to Storm's End. And I, I thought that was great to see Daenerys politicking during these next two moments, right? Because after this, she raises her glass to Arya when a, a big toast goes up about, you know, Jon Snow and the heroes of the battle. And she raises her glasses to Arya Stark, you know, the hero of the long night. Yeah, that was a good nod on her part. It yeah, got a big it cheer. A, it was a good nod, but it did not win over who she wanted it to win over. Which, of course, seemed to be Sansa. We see the character direction of the faces, and she immediately sees that Sansa goes cold, that Sansa kind of stands up, and she leaves the table, and she's not very happy. Yeah. But then we also get more cheering. You know, we're going to come back to that Sansa Danny stuff later, but then we get more cheering of Tormund it, trying to get john to chug and we get torment chugging but i'm gonna say i am disappointed that we did not get john chugging i wanted that i deserve but do you know what i love no all of the john you're so small shit this episode <laughs> like especially one of my best friends miguel cosplays john snow and uh <laughs> he's a little shorter than i am very accurately like sophie turner and uh kit harrington heights here in our friendship and it's just great, because the whole the whole entire episode, Tormund's like, you fucking small-ass flea. I'm like, yep, that's Miguel. That's, that's him. hilarious. I know, it's kind of funny <laughs> that they've made this, like, a very canon thing about Jon's character. Because, like, Daenerys makes that joke to Sansa, too, about Drogo. Mm -hmm. She's like, he was taller. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I love it. I mean, Poor Jon Snow. Also, like, Sansa's <laughs> enormously tall. Yeah, well, excuse me, maybe everyone else is just enormously small. Maybe we all are, Chloe. Yeah. So there's that. Fuck off. <laughs> <sighs> I did like Tormund in this episode. Like, he was just... Tormund is like that that buddy of yours that, like, everybody thinks he's a little wild and he gets drunk and you're like, oh, no, he's really a good guy, you guys. He's just, like, he gets drunk and he's crazy. And then the worst he does is, like, he got to clean the puke out of his beard. You know, like, or he tries to hug you a couple times. Like, if you tell him, no, he's good, but, oh, Tormund, good time, Tormund. You got to put that bitch to bed, you know? Just... Well, it's not even that. I bet, you know, Tormund's there goading John into drinking and vomiting. I think Tormund's the guy who will hold your hair back. He's also Aww. drunk, but I think Tormund will hold your hair back while you vomit. Am I Tormund? I mean, maybe. You you are tall. <laughs> Am I Jon Snow? And this whole yes. time I thought you were Jon and I was Sam. You know, we're going to just switch through all these roles constantly. Oh my god, is this roleplay? Is it? Oh no. <laughs> Uh, we get a callback, of course, to season two and whatever other season. I know there's another time. Tyrion plays the drinking game that he does, right? The drink, you know, if it's about you. And so it's Brainy, Tyrion, and Podrick is there, too. And, um, did my ears deceive me, or was there a Taisha reference? Who? Who's Taisha? Exactly. Chloe? So, Oops. listen, I'm not going to explain. You know who she is, Eliana. <laughs> Say her name. Uh, <laughs> no, I know who Taisha is. Like, my God, remember when that was a plot? No. 
<laughs> Never. Oh, God. But so Brienne, you know, gets kind of into this game and she goes, you were married before you were married to Lady Sansa. And he drinks. Or no, he doesn't drink. He just gets mad. And then he says something mean to her about her being a virgin. But he did drink, I thought, right? Yeah, I thought Jamie no, made him did. drink. Oh, but also Podrick drank during that. I thought that was interesting. Okay, does this mean Podrick is a virgin? But at the same time, he departs from the feast with two women. So he's but about I was to also like, it? maybe because like, Podrick's part of this game, right? Because he drinks in the moment that Tyrion says, you're a virgin, which makes me think he's part of this drinking game. Yeah. You know? Well, and so I'm guessing, though, that that's where, you know, he sang last episode. So maybe that was a big joke they created that, like, Podrick sang to them. He didn't actually have sex with them. And that's why they, like, just gave him his money back and they just hung out. And maybe he braided their hair, you know? Like, that's what I think. Maybe they just hung yeah. out. And maybe, he, like, they wore facial masks and he just talked about how Tyrion was such a dick sometimes. I think that's what happened. And I like that idea. And the girls probably bonded with him over that, because they're like, yeah, fuck Lord Tyrion, we hate him. Yeah, exactly. I love um, it. I also want to say that I loved Gwendolyn Christie's acting during this drinking scene. Like, her exaggerated facial expressions, they were they were girlish and fun and and drunken. I think she did a great job throughout this episode. She, she's, she's just a great actress in general, but she did a great job during this episode. When she smiled after she was knighted, you know, and it was that cute little smile, she yes. just is so pure and so Brienne. She just, like, is she Brienne. Is. She uh, makes my heart warm. I, I think that the perform some of these performances are just curtain call. It's getting me emotional, because she's a great Brienne. The brainy stuff in this episode was sad and compelling and beautiful, and similar probably what will happen in the books. We'll get there soon, but Jamie mm-hmm. was like trying to get her drunk. Mm-hmm. I was like, Jamie, she'll probably just have sex with you. Just make it romantic. What the fuck? I don't think he was thinking about that. I think he was just like, I'm trying to bro out with my friend whom I kind of have a crush on. But like that wasn't in the agenda until like. Yeah, I wonder if he was also nervous because he was thinking about it. And so he's like, drink, drink with me, drink with me. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Jamie's never had sex with anyone that's not his sister. Like, I don't know if that's the case. I think it's the case also in show yeah. canon, but definitely in book canon. He's like, I've only ever slept with my sister. I'm like, dude. That's yeah, fucked up. <laughs> yeah, Cersei slept with a lot of other people, and Jamie's like, I've only slept with my sister. Yeah, poor Jamie. Kay. And that's, like, what makes it so sad at the end. I think Jamie was very in character in this episode. I really mm-hmm. do. It's interesting. I'm excited to see next episode, but also fearful and uh, i mean even before this episode i started getting excited a little i haven't had that feeling in a while that was nuts uh, it was weird it was a weird show feeling you felt that for episode two don't lie um i did but i don't know if i felt it to this extent because i kind of was just like i felt okay. like this was really really uncharted territory the stuff that was getting there and mm. i feel like a lot of like okay. i don't think the plots were 100 percent to anything in the book except for maybe one or two things the characters are all gonna be different at certain points you know I don't think Cersei's even alive at this point. Anyways, I digress. We won't talk about that right now. But uh, I just kind of was like, this is kind of uncharted territory. And I felt free. And I was like, this is this is good. You know, it's a good thing. And of course, the scene that happens after this uh, is, is... What scene is, is that? a scene. And... Is it a scene? There's a scene that happens scene? after this. Shut up, Eliana. And I have spent so long... Lying to myself saying we'll never get a Sansa and Sandor scene. 
I don't know when I convinced myself, but I did it because I wanted to protect myself from the pain of not getting it. Yeah, if you if you uh, armor yourself in it, no one can use it to Courtesy hurt you. Courtesy is my armor. Chloe. Okay, Eliana. Uh, yeah. So, first off, Tormund, of course, after getting denied from Brienne as Brienne and Jamie slink off together a little drunkenly and boozily, uh, Tormund slinks back himself to the table next to Sandor, and he, like, lays his head all up on him, and he's like... The woman I'm in love with just rejected me. <laughs> but also, yeah. it's kind of cute because, yes, he's clueless and an idiot. And, like, you're like, leave her leave her alone. Get a job, Torment. The whole time. Like, he's obviously was clueless. He's like, she just rejected me. And later on, he moves because of it. And he's like, well, I don't want to bug her. Like, so I'm just saying. You That's were respectful, fine. Yeah, Torment. if he, he respected that when Jane was like, yo, chill. But. It's great how it frames this scene because he ends up getting, I think, like a camp follower or a woman of the north that's there at the feast uh, that kind of latches on to him. So he goes off with her. And then Sandor Clegane is sitting there mostly like, please stop talking. You know, like he's like, just leave me alone. I just want to finish my wine. He's, I love him. He's just like, we're yeah, not He friends. literally is. He says it to everyone, though. He's uh, like, hashtag no, no new friends, friends is Sandor Clegane. I love him. Big energy right there, Sandy. Uh so Sandor, <laughs> Sandor, once Tormund leaves, this girl is like next to him. She's like, are you ready? Are you ready? And Sandor, like, first off, Sandor looks at her like, no, go away. Like, I don't want to deal with any of you people right now. And she doesn't leave. And he growls at her. Bad dog. And of course, after he growls at her, eye contact is made at the high table with the Lady of Winterfell, Sansa Stark. And Sandor Clegane. <sighs> oh. And, what is it? What does this mean, Chloe? What oh is God. this? Eliana, don't make me talk about this. I'm gonna cry again. Um, I'm gonna make you talk about it. You have this to is talk like about my it. big moment. It's your thing. It's your. This, this is your moment. Shot. I'm here to support I think you. You're the best wife ever. Um, I really. So. Oh my God! You guys just <laughs> cried. Shut up. So. I'm gonna be honest. I some of the dialogue here, as we said, is a little gross, but it's based off of an arc that they created in season five. Where Sansa would take the uh-huh. role of Jane Poole from the books and go to Winterfell and marry Ramsay Bolton and undergo a bunch of tortury, rapey stuff and just like be miserable. And they took away all her agency, which is not what's happening in the books. Sansa is safe ish in the Vale, eating lemon cakes and dancing and planning feasts <laughs> and gaining agency back. So just keep that in your mind right now. And she's going to get to Winterfell and it's going to actually mean something and not be built on raping her. But he, you know, kind of implies i heard it was a bad time what you had to deal with up here and sansa agrees she's like yeah but he got his in the end and sandor asks how and she smiles at him and she just goes hounds and it's it's it cute. cute and he smiles back and he tells her you've changed little bird and she's like i'm not little bird anymore and she he's like what if you had just gone with me the night of the black water and she tells him, you know, like, if I had gone with you, I wouldn't, I would still be that little bird. And she, like, puts her hand on his, basically to get to the point in the conversation. He says this line, and it has a parallel to season four, when Arya, when he's basically begging Arya and trying to goad her into killing him, he says to her, like, I wish I would have raped your sister, then I would have at least one last happy memory. And he's talking to Sansa, and he says to her, there's only one thing that would make me happy. And he like looks her in the eye and she looks him in the eye and she puts her hand on his, the hand clasp. It's very romantic. 
And then she stands and she leaves him. And that was it. That was their closure. It was nice. Uh, it was just, if I ignore half the dialogue, which I did, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, it is what it is. It still closed the season five arc, I guess. And it just, it closed her kind of standing up to his bullying ways in a way and telling him, you know, I'm not that same little girl. And I've learned a lot thanks mm-hmm. to people and people like you, Sandor. You know, it's framed exactly like him saying, this is my last happy memory before I go take care of my brother. That's clearly what it is. He's going to go down and take care of Gregor Clegane. I will say that I think there's a lot of valid criticism of the scene, of course, and how the show has framed the trauma that Sansa has had to undergo. Mm -hmm. The show could obviously have benefit from some female writers in the last couple seasons. We haven't had one since, I think, season Mm -hmm. four uh, on the writing room, and that's pretty fucked up. Um, Whatever. You can say it's not, but you're wrong. Uh, they really needed it. I'm sorry, but this 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 plot was not delicately done. No uh, gross entendre no. intended. And I, I thought it was great that there were even some celebrities that said some things like Jessica Chastain, who has been working on Phoenix with or Dark Phoenix with Sophie Turner. Right. She's in that movie. And she tweeted, rape is not a tool to make a character stronger. A woman doesn't need to be victimized in order to become a butterfly. The little bird was always a phoenix. Her prevailing strength is solely because of her and her alone. And I agree, uh, absolutely, and those takes are important. I think both sides of it can be true this time. They already did the damage. I've spent years and years hating it. Uh, I'm just going to let this moment happen because it was a nice closure for a relationship that I thought we would never really get closure on. And at the same time, uh, I mean, we know it was awful. We lived through it. We're still here watching. It is what it is, I guess. I hate what they did, and all I can hold on to is that Sansa is in the Vale in the Winds of Winter, and she is going to come back to Winterfell of her own agency. She's not going to have it be something like that. I think that, yes, sexual assault is not the only way that you can make character development. It also doesn't necessarily make a character stronger. I think if you want to look at a flip side of all that, I would highly recommend reading Margaret Atwood's Mad Adam trilogy. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with Atwood's work. Some of you are probably watching The Handmaid's Tale adaptation on Hulu. And, you know, she's a fantastic writer, especially when it comes to women characters. And I think that I am reading this scene to an extent as... It's not Sansa saying that she had to undergo all of these things and not be a little bird. I think it's like, you know, same as with Arya and Bran. Like, they know that they can't change the past. Bran tells Jamie, like, well, if you hadn't pushed me out the window, I wouldn't be the three-eyed Whatever. Yeah. raven. Yeah, and you... <laughs> yeah, I was like, what fucking bird are we talking about in the show? Verb. I was about to say three-eyed crow. Yeah, it's three, three-eyed big bird. <laughs> is the three-eyed big bird. <laughs> Yeah, she's a threat, big burb. And Jamie, you know, wouldn't be who he is. And I understand all that. And I think it's more of just an acceptance of these things happen to me. And I think if Sansa goes down the road of like, what if I had gone with Sandra Clegane? Like, I think that way only lies regret. That way only re- lies regret and pain. And she accepts that these things has happened, have happened to her. And she has had to try and learn to deal with that. And of course she wishes she could have gone with her good old friend, the old hound, you know? You sad old hound. That's kind of the look she gave him. It yeah. reminded me of that line from Feast when she just looks at that dog and mm. she thinks, you sad old hound. And that's exactly how I felt. And it was sad, uh, but that little girl that helped to teach him mercy, you know, I mean, she grew up into a young woman. 
and she's going to be the future of the mm-hmm. nation. You know, she's going to be the future. She is a young woman of the future, and I, I love that. It's sad, it's poetic, it's beautiful, and it leads us... Of the future. The future, yeah, like... Are you saying she time-traveled through I'm saying Bram? that she's basically... Uh, <laughs> you <laughs> i was gonna say she's i like a, how that took a second to sink in for you she's much, what's the a xenon that's who she is oh girl the 21st century yeah, zoom 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 zoom, zoom. Mm, and and the hound is protozoan okay anyways gendria yeah gendria uh tell me of gendria yeah i think um i think that dave and dan are really proud that they finally fucking nailed this parallel <laughs> Yeah, oh my god, third try, <gasps> yeah. third try, Steve. Uh, sec- second try, second try is the charm, apparently, you guys. The parallel must have three heads. Yeah. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't mind it. I didn't mind it the last time, and I didn't mind it this time either. I like it. I like that that's not me, parallel. I like the tri-parallel, duo parallel, whatever the fuck parallel it is. Uh, yes, I liked it. I like the way that they acted out the scene. Gendry's so fucking jazzed. And, like, you can see, even when he comes into the room and is talking to Arya, like, oh, guess what? Why aren't you fucking celebrating with everyone also? And you can see that she, like Sansa, like Bran, is a different person. She can't go back to someone who enjoys the feast, even though last time we saw her at a feast, right? Like, she was out there throwing food at her sister. She's not part of it anymore. Yeah, it's not her world anymore, and it never was going to be her world. Even from season one, that's not me, and... The worst of it really is that, like, Gendry couldn't be with her or stay with her. He was never going to be able to live up to her. She wanted him to come north and work for her brother, and she didn't understand as a young girl why that was inappropriate, like, why he might be offended. She was like, well, you can come work for my brother, I guess, you know, and hang out with me all the time. Yeah. Like, that's what makes those rich girl flirt jokes earlier this season, kind of, like, when you think about it, like, come on, because he never was anything he was just a bastard from flea bottom and he told her you know like i can't go with you i have to make my own way i have to forge my, my own, own path. ninja way yeah exactly he had to do his own thing and he had to find his own way and he tried to find his own way with the brotherhood and that's kind of where we see him in the books uh but that was a nobler meaning for him than just being a bastard who worked in a forge in flea bottom and back then you know for her it was i could be your family yeah and he said, you would be my lady. Well, now it's, he, he's so excited that he finally amounted to something, something that Arya Stark, my lady of Winterfell, could, you know, be with in society, in the society they live in. And that's not her. It's not. and it, I th- That's never what she wanted. It's kind of sad because at the same time, you can see through their acting. And I think, I'm going to just keep complimenting the actors this episode, all right? I think Maisie Williams does a great job in the scene because you can see on her face, like, She's legitimately happy for Gendry being legitimized. She's she's yeah. really like pleased for him. And then when he tells her that he loves her and all these things, I think you can see on her face that there's a lot of complex emotions that Arya does love him. But as you said, she can't be what he needs her to be. And it's a very complex, different kind of love. It's not just romantic. She loves him because they've been through a lot together. They lost people yes. together. She was going to be his family. And she cares for him very deeply as a friend. And she trusted him, right, to be someone that she would have as her first sexual partner but she also understands that again she can't change who she is anymore she loves him but loves him enough that it's not again just romantic and to let him go to live to a fuller potential than she can provide for him he finally has his happy ending and that's not her happy ending 
Yeah. She doesn't, I don't think she really knows what she wants, you know? She just, she's had all of this trauma, and she has her family back, but she doesn't quite fit there either. Yeah. And I do think as much as that Sansa Arya drama was dumb last season, I think it really showed how out of pocket Arya is, how she just hasn't been around these humans that, like, function a certain way in this society, and this society has never been for her. She never wanted it. She never wanted to fit in like that. Yeah, but she's kind of closed that door, and she accepts that I've gone down a path where I can't anymore at all. Yeah. And it's sad, but that's what it is. I wonder if, to an extent, I got some sort of, like, kind of Alyssa Farman vibes, but now yes. that, like, we're being sad about her, now I'm like, am I getting Reyna Targaryen vibes, which would make me really sad. That would make me sad, and I want to add on to that, that while those might be the vibes you're feeling, and I felt the Alyssa Farman, I would even give some vibes, especially later on when she leaves Winterfell to head off and she hangs out with Sandor again, uh, I would even give the vibes that maybe she'll just go west, and maybe she'll go on, and it'll be, I don't know, it'll be like the Stark kids live on as legends, like I was saying, right? Mm -hmm. Like Arya goes west and she's the next Nymeria the witch queen who went west and found land or the Alyssa farm and who went west and maybe she found land or a place to live, a place to be, uh, a place to be at peace, right? Very similar to what happens to the Hound the first time in the novels and in the show. Or much like I think will happen with Rickon that, you know, he ends up just lore. Davos leaves him on Skagos and yeah. he is a shaggy dog story, but Davos saves him by doing that from the bloodshed and from all these politics. And Rickon lives on as like a Skagosi Stark king in legend and lore. And he rode his big black wolf all around. And I don't know. I just think that like, it's sad that they break up and the family doesn't get to be together, but it's not Harry Potter. You know, like there's no happy, happy ending. It's going to be bittersweet. He's always said that. George has, so. It's a little like uh, the end of Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood, except they actually had family reunions and they won't. You know how like yeah. Al goes and he studies alcohistory and stuff? Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. You know, not to spoil the ending of that. <laughs> While all this is going on, the beating heart behind all of it Danny is at the head table, and her emptiness and loneliness is just ringing true. A lot of people have noted this already as they watch Daenerys' storyline, and she also says it explicitly. There's a line from Tormund praising Jon and says, What kind of person climbs on a fucking dragon, a madman or a king? And it reminds me a lot of a, of a line in Daenerys' story in the Game of Thrones, where she is wondering, you know, how far is it from madness to greatness? And we understand that they are two sides of the same coin. I don't think that Danny is mad, but I do think that this is sort of a double standard, and we'll get into this a little later, that is being levied against her, because what kind of person climbs on a fucking dragon? It wasn't just John. Danny does it in the middle of the dragon pit. She does it like in a time when the dragon is burning everyone else around her and like it's it's a different scene in the books where she has to be the one and ev it's fucking chaos and she's out there in wisps yeah. of silk and she climbs on this dragon and is she a madman or is she a king? Exactly. And everyone is just celebrating and she did everything she should have. She, you know, tried to toast to Arya and she she gave Storm's end to Gendry to make him loyal and to you know be courteous of her people that had given during this war and it just reminds me of a storm of swords the way she's sitting there and you can yes. see how alone she is and isolated when she says in Daenerys 6 do all gods feel so lonely 
some must surely it's a it's a very sad passage and she is she's a very lonely god and the framing of the scene actually really brings you into that the music pulls back uh the music gets very quiet and it's almost like you're underwater or like your ears are kind of plugged you see everybody celebrating john while the music isolates danny and you feel those feelings in the pit of her stomach in your own stomach and you feel it grow and it's not the first bit of isolation. We see this with Misande with those mean racist northern kids. Uh, we see all the lords kind of staring down Danny and not cheering her when she arrives at Winterfell. She's lost her armies, her closest friends, all for the north. And at the same time, had she not come north and done that, they all would have died anyways in the hands of an even bigger undead army. But it still doesn't excuse these feelings. Like she's, it doesn't invalidate her feelings. She's alone in a strange land. Like you said, she has no one. And by that, we don't mean she has Arya. No, she really doesn't have Arya either. (laughs) Yeah. 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 She doesn't. And I think that's something that rings true to me of what we're going to see in the books, because the more that Danny climbs to the top, like at the top of the world, that's it. You're alone. And I also think that they did a great job of showing this. People have drawn comparisons to the scene where Viserys is looking at Daenerys and thinking that he's alone and he's never had people look at him like that. And I'm going to give, again, props to all the actors that if people can draw that comparison to Viserys and the way that he looked in that moment, I think that means Amelia Clark fucking nailed it. It's just really good acting (laughs) shit. We get this moment where Tyrion and Bran have just a chat at the fireside and Tyrion tells him his wheelchair is clever and Bran reminds him of the saddle he made him and it gets brought up that Darren Targaryen had a crippled nephew who used the same design. What? What is this? Why did that? That's fake history. And the only other thing this could be would be like if Bloodraven is Darren 2's half-brother. So in book canon, it kind of makes it almost like me and Bookshelf Stud were talking about this today. It, it makes it almost like Bloodraven's heir kind of fits that. I don't know. Bran equals Bloodraven if Bloodraven's Darren 2's half-brother, so it's Darren's nephew-ish. Well, we didn't get which Darren it was, right? But it doesn't matter because it's neither. Like, it's not real, Eliana. This is show lore. I literally, <laughs> like, made sure. I reread. They just made uh, this up, so why? Why? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, the original outline had, like, different plans for Bran, right? Like, everybody tore that thing apart and, like, CSI'd it and, like, tried to figure out what letters were filled in, where the blanks were, the Texas, uh, the Cushing library piece. But the last book was originally going to be a time for wolves, so maybe a Stark rule of Mustros. But is is the world ready for that? Is that... I don't know. I also, I'm going to say for a second when Tyrion said, that's clever. I didn't think he meant, I didn't think he meant the the chair. I thought he meant not being part of the party. I'm like, that is clever. I feel that, Bran. (laughs) (laughs) Sitting far away from the rest of the party. Yeah. But apparently not. Apparently it was this, uh, this thing. Man, episode six is probably going to be called, like, either The Hour of the Wolf, A Time for Wolves, or A Dream of Spring. I bet it's one of those three. It has to be. It must be A Dream of Spring. Uh, I'm going to have to say, though, that, like, all of this feasting and celebrating, it kind of gives me the same vibe as, remember when everyone's mourning Maester Aemon on, I think it's the Cinnamon Wind, right? Where the Sam and them and the Summer Islanders are telling Sam, like, hey, sex is one way to honor the dead. And 
you know, we celebrate their lives, even though like it's, it, it's this weird mix, right, between sadness and mm-hmm. celebration. And I think that this episode that. very much nails that. I think the biggest downer of this first half of the episode for me was the John and Danny scene. Like, I love the acting. Yeah. But the chemistry is uh, hard for me. They mm-hmm. they obviously are really good friends. And, like, when they try to make out and have sexy time with each other, maybe it's just because we just had, like, Brainy and Gendria and Sansan. And those were all lit. But this is what you're going to hand me? This is, like, some raw chicken slapping on raw chicken. Like, that's all it felt like to me. I was like, guys, stop kissing and just, like, go back to fighting. It was so good when they were fighting. Isn't there a thing that says that when Kit Harrington and Amelia finished up filming that kissing scene in front of, like, the waterfall, they, like, turned away and started doing, like, fake gagging noises and stuff? Yep. I mean, they're BFFs they're, they're good and friends. he's completely married. Yeah. yeah. So, it, I get it. It is a very weird situation. <laughs> yeah. But they're doing what they can. And I think the chemistry yeah. this season is way better than the one last season. Yes, very much so. And the writing kind of has worked around that, I feel like. I feel like the writing has helped a lot. Yeah. I will also say, you know, of course, Danny is asking John to not tell anyone. Understandably so. And I do think it is an interesting part of John's storyline to ask him, don't tell anyone, don't be Aegon Targaryen, because... The first episode of this entire series and, like, the first interactions we get with John, he's interacting with Tyrion, who's telling him to own who he is, own being a bastard. If you are who you are, basically, like, you make that your armor and no one can ever hurt you. I just think that it's an interesting challenge that comes across his character. Yeah, and it feels a lot, I don't know, maybe this is starting to feel a lot like Ned going south, Mm -hmm. um, a lot like very Hour of the Wolf. That, you know, he's maybe, I think he's very conflicted about his Targaryen claim now and about, like, what's happening, especially with the tenseness that's going on between him and Daenerys. And, you know, like, that's a big thing to tell someone, like, you need to give up your claim and you need to give up, like, your last name. Uh, It's very Aemon. We're reading right now about Jon and Aemon in Game of Thrones. And it's very, you know, Aemon had these trials, too. And maybe this is one of Jon's tests, right? Like, this is another test for Jon of... This is my parentage, and what do I do with it? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, what do you fucking do with that? Go to a war council, I guess. Yeah, a war council. Daenerys wants to forge ahead with her plans to just go straight out and attack King's Landing, but go to Dragonstone first. Sansa thinks that they should rest their troops before attacking. They've all, you know, just fought ice zombies. I think this is a very logical statement. Uh, and we do see, unfortunately, later, maybe they should have. But Daenerys is like, nope, we're going now. You guys said you would support me, and you're kind of acting like little bitches about it. Yeah, and then John's like, we're gonna do it. And then... Mostly because his girlfriend gave him an ultimatum a scene ago. Yeah, shit's weird. She's like, it sucks. no more chicken on chicken unless oh my you gosh. Uh, hide who you are. God damn it. Oh my god. <laughs> Raw chicken. Slap, 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 slap. But we do learn, I'm going to throw this out there, we do learn some of the Dothraki survived, and that <laughs> means something to me, because it's like, did they just extinguish their entire culture last time? I was like, can you fucking... That's fucked up. I guess you couldn't see it, so yeah. it could have happened. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there. I was like, oh, okay. Good. Mm, right. right, I was surprised, right. too. I didn't realize it. Yeah, and then after he leaves, 
you know, we get some meaningful looks between Arya and Sansa or after Danny leaves and then they're all like, John, we need to talk. And I'm going to be honest, this is something that I wanted from this episode. I wanted the fucking four Stark siblings to talk to each other. I wanted the, the fucking... I, I, it didn't have to be in the godswood. I just wanted the fucking pack together, okay? And I got it. This is yeah. a thing I wanted. Is it? I, I, do you think this is the last time we'll get it, though? It might be. I don't know that it's how I want it. I don't know that I want... That it's... What I wanted, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that this is the last way that I wanted it, but I just wanted it at all. I feel like that's kind of how the whole episode is, now that you say that out loud. Like, Damn. me with Sansa and Sansa and Sandor, that was... I'm not sure that's how I wanted it, but I just wanted it. Yeah, I wanted it at all. That's kind of the problem with this episode. I will give it that. I, I like this episode a lot. I keep saying I like it, but if I had to say there's a problem with it, it is that it's I wanted it. That's it. Like, I didn't want it like this, but I just wanted it, so it's fine. Yeah. Ah, sigh. They're in the godswood. John argues with them. He's like, look, we'd be dead without Daenerys. You guys stop being shitty towards her. And Arya's like, yeah, but you're our family. Like, you're our brother. Not our half-brother. Yeah. Not our bastard brother. Our brother. That was nice. And that means something coming from Arya, because she has Mm -hmm. always seen him as her brother. They were the two that looked alike. And I love that Sansa and Arya are a team now. Like, it's we. It's never I. It's we, John. We. We're a family. But also, if Arya's just leaving, that feels weird, too. That she's using all this we language. But she's like, okay, bye forever, family. I don't know. Maybe they're, she and Sansa are going to be pen pals. I think that'd be cute. Aw, Sunder Raven. Yeah. I'm into it. I <laughs> I like that idea. And that's what's going to happen now for me, personally. Yep, same. <laughs> And then it's my head cannon. Yeah, John hesitantly looks at Bran, and Bran tells him it's your choice. Which I respect the hell out of Bran for doing that. I was just mm-hmm. like, "What's gonna happen?" And Bran's just like, "It's your choice." John's like, "God damn it!" Then he tells Bran, "Reveal it," and then it cuts to black. I'm mad we didn't get to actually hear the reveal, but we didn't fine. need it. We already knew what it was. I think no, they thought it would be redundant. Yeah. And speaking of redundant, it piles us right into a Tyrion and Jamie talk, and. Look, I'm really sure that this speech with them together chatting probably foreshadows thing about their plot, their family bonds, and Cersei and what's about to happen in the next couple episodes. But I'm going to be real with you, Chief. I disassociated the entire time because I was just thinking about the Beatles speech. And I was just like, is this talk still happening? And then Bran just shows up and he's like, I'm here to kill you. Cersei's giving me the Riverlands. And Tyrion's like, I'll give you Highgarden. And Bran's like, okay, bye. And they're like, no, you have to come with us and fight with us so we can keep an eye on you. And he's like, I'm not going to do that shit for you guys anymore. So, you know, and then he's like, see how this ends later. Bye. Good luck. Is anyone confused the way that I am? Like, they're he's using a crossbow. He's got yeah. a fucking, you know... It's comical. He's got to put shit back in the crossbow. There was a split second. There's a moment, right, where he has to reload it. And maybe they could have made a move. I don't know. What do I know? But maybe he, Braun is, in fact, as we all know, a very good fighter. So maybe he was just, like, too good for them, even while reloading a crossbow. I don't know. Braun should have died in Season 7, The Spoils of War. I've said this before, and I stand by it. Look, Jerome, we're not trying to take you out of a job. It's just more thematically resonant. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Everyone drink. Our new shit. <sighs> so Sandor and Arya are on the road again. Yes, it's cute. Electric Boogaloo, part two. It's cute. 
I'm into yeah, it. I'm happy. They're I'm they're happy. they're cute together. It's like murder dad and murder daughter, whatevs. Yeah, and he can go off and watch her a little bit and make sure he's got her back. You know, that's cool. He's got her back. Sans will be happy. Yeah, she sent you know a par- uh, she sent one of the swords there. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's all we got to say about that. Yeah, I mean, obviously about Alyssa Farman takes. Yeah, so. we obviously think they're going down. They're obviously going to King's Landing. Whatever, fuck this. Yeah, shit. they're going down the King's Road. Let's be real. You know that's where their unfinished <sighs> yeah. business is. Sandor has unfinished business. Arya's going with him. I, yeah. So the next scene is framed with Daenerys preparing, preparing to fly, and Tyrion and Sansa chat. Uh, Sansa watches from the battlements as Daenerys prepares to fly, and the dragons fly overhead. Daenerys, the second she steps towards her dragons. You can tell this is her home. This is all she has left. These are her children. Mm-hmm. They're fire made flesh and they understand her even if the North doesn't. You can feel that in this scene. You can see it on yeah. Amelia's face that she immediately beams and she lights up. And it's like when I have a really shitty day and I come home and my cats are there. Yeah, that's what it is. Only it is. they Only breathe fire and, and yeah, and they fly. Fiery boys. <laughs> yeah. And... Then, of course, you know, Sans is watching the dragons overhead, and Tyrion tries to talk to her about, like, yo, so, like, why don't you like my queen? And she's like, you fear him her a little. And then I do think it's interesting <laughs> that Sansa doesn't call Tyrion my lord anymore, Lord Tyrion. She just calls him Tyrion when she good. refers to him. Has there been anything as good as the Sansa-Tyrion scenes every time she's just like, and fuck you, Tyrion, and Tyrion, are you still talking? Yeah. I it's d- been really good, the SmackDown. Like, I was, I'm in here for it. I was surprised, though. I mean, this is a thing that we had an issue with in terms of Sansa's portrayal in the crypts during the previous episode where she doesn't seem like the Sansa at the Blackwater. And I know, I know, she's not a fucking little bird anymore. But at the same time, part of, I think, what Sansa's characterization was supposed to be is that she grew up still having a lot of that s- optimism and hope in a way that Cersei didn't in like that idea of I will make them love me and her telling Tyrion you are afraid of her a little there's no I think hearkening back to that idea of I will make them love me do you understand what like my question I do um I want to say though the show really cut a lot of those moments from Sansa you know yeah we don't get much we get her singing to the girls at the Blackwater obviously but we don't really get a lot of soft Sansa otherwise. They really did make her a little more shrewd, a little more calculating, a little more like Cat, I would say. Uh, you don't get that internal POV, so you don't get to hear her think of like being sad for people. In fact, her scenes with Shay in season three, mm. a lot of them, um, they're, they're very cold and they're very cynical. She's very cynical earlier on in the show, I would say, uh, than she is in the books. I think in mm. in the books, it kind of translates a little, right? Like she starts using that to start thinking more, but it's not purely negative thinking. Like it, yeah. she just seems very cynical and shrewd and calculating in the show. I don't know. It's very Cersei, like you say. I don't, uh, I don't foresee her being quite as cold. Yeah. And I mean, maybe they, maybe we're wrong because, you know, Queen North, cold, ice, whatever. But at the same time, seems inconsistent with what we've seen especially because well then again i don't know maybe she like ned will have two faces one of lady stark and one of sansa yeah the lady and the and sansa yeah i like that i could see that maybe the lord face the lady face oh baby oh lady 
Sansa finally asks Tyrion. He keeps asking, like, what's wrong? Why you 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 sound like you're holding something back. Like, why won't you talk to me? And finally, after like pressing her, she turns and she says, What if there was someone better than Daenerys with a better claim, a better ruler? I mean, is he a better ruler? We're gonna get to why I don't think he is in like a split yeah. second. Thank God. Uh, a farewell in Winterfell yeah (laughs) John gives Tormund and the wildlings the courtesy of staying in the north and he's not just like you know north of the wall north he's like here this is the north too right even though remember Egret was like I don't know everything south of the wall is fucking south to us whatevs (laughs) Tormund says it's not the real north and they need room to wander and he plans to take them past Castle Black, because, you know, we don't fucking need the Night's Watch anymore. Uh, I mean, we really don't. Be very serious there. That we know of. Oh my god. What if Bran's the Night King? Oh my god, leave me alone. Okay. You're, fi- you're fired. You're Thank you. fired, I deserve Chloe. it. I do deserve it. <laughs> you do. But what if he is, after all this time? How mad will you be? Pretty. I'll be pretty mad. I'd be pissed. Yeah, I'd be pissed. I'd, I'd be, be so like, mad. Fuck I'd, George R. R. Martin. I'd cancel I'd the show. The yeah, I'd cancel the... The real Song of Ice and Fire really then would be the friends you meet along the way. Fuck the books. <laughs> we would stop doing a Song of Ice and Fire like right now yeah. and start something else. We would just quit. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> guys. <laughs> Tormund then tells John that, you know, he has the true north in him. And then I don't know what that fucking means. And John leaves. I think that's just everyone telling John, just like we had in the Godswood, that John's still a Stark, I guess. Yeah. That this is part of him, and then John's like, you know, you're gonna take ghosts with you, alright? Please take care of him. And like this is why John can't be king in the north, okay? This is why John can't be king of anything. He can't even take care of his fucking dog. Okay. Like, I want to remind all of you that when we first Chloe's just over this. When we oh, first on. see the dire wolf litter, John hears something and he's like, What is that? And then it's ghost, but no one else could hear him. So that means when that one ghost whimpers, only John can hear him. And John doesn't go over. He just looks at his fucking dog, and he doesn't go over, and he doesn't pet him. Okay. How dare he? I know. I know. I, I'm sorry. I You just at least go over, and you fucking pet your dog, alright? Like, and I am legend. I'm assuming everyone here has seen I am legend. And if you haven't, I don't- I assume you're not gonna ever see it. It's, like, been over ten years. It's, like, it's an okay movie. The zombie thing is kind of past. You're never gonna see it, alright? And, like, no, Will Smith, okay, holds the dog. He's about to kill his dog that's turning into a zombie, but at least he holds him and he loves him for a little bit before having to, like, put him down for being so a fucking zombie. Me. It is, but, like, John should have John should have fucking done anything. He should have pat Ghost. Ghost, dude, Ghost saved his fucking life. We literally just read this chapter, Chloe. I know, I know, but I'm going to provide devil's advocate here, and what if the meta behind it, because, you know, we love to provide explanations for the writing in the show. Uh, that's my favorite pastime. It's a hobby, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, what if meta... John didn't pet Ghost because he couldn't bring himself to say goodbye to him. I mean, I understand that we're headwigging Ghost right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, like, if he can't say goodbye to him, are you saying that you think Ghost is going to come back? Because it wasn't a true goodbye? Well, I I just don't think John would leave Ghost, like, because of that bond. And, like, okay, so, obviously this whole thing is, like, 
The only nod we're apparently getting close to John and Sansa resettling the new gift with Wildlings and Night Night's Watch members, which I think has to happen in the books, so that's stupid. Or maybe Sansa starts doing it, like, later or something. I don't know, whatever. But it was a nice small nod. But something here that I thought was interesting was, like, I was talking to Dop John from Twitter, if you know him. He's great. Uh, and he is a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. In fact, he actually got me to buy the Silmarillion when I was really drunk one night, like blackout drunk. And then I read about a quarter of it. I didn't understand it because I've only seen the movies and like, I vaguely like got some stuff from the book, but I was also shit show drunk. Why didn't he try to get me to buy the books? Okay. Like, I just want to know, like, why was it the Silmarillion? And it wasn't like the main Lord of the Rings books, John. Anyways, that's a, that's a question he can answer someday. I'll, I'll get him a beer and he'll make him answer it. But we're talking and we're talking about the scouring of the Shire and George has talked about how, like, the end of A Song of Ice and Fire is going to be this bittersweet, you know, the scouring of the Shire, and after the scouring of the Shire happens, and uh, they take it all out, root and stem, haha, uh, Frodo, you know, he leaves, he, he doesn't stay. There's a passage in Return of the King where Sam is like, I thought you were going to enjoy the Shire too for years and years after all you've done, and... Frodo says, so I thought too once, but I've been too deeply hurt, Sam. I tried to save the Shire, and it's been saved, but not for me. And it's just like, we were talking about that, and just all the Lord of the Rings lore, just as we get so close to the end, and all these epic high fantasy bits, and lots of pieces from Terry Pratchett's work from Discworld. If you haven't read Discworld, I highly recommend it if you have time. It's very long. There's a lot. There's a lot to read. There's like 35 novels. And... So please do it. I mean, you have nothing but time, right? But there's just this line from Frodo that it must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger, someone has to give them up, lose them so that others may keep them. Uh, This goodbye scene felt very bittersweet, him giving up his dog, saying goodbye to one of his brothers. You know, Tormund was his brother, his wildling brother, his brother of the Night's Watch, really. They were all the shield that guarded the realms of men together, right? And mm-hmm. then just when you think your heart can't take anymore as Torment and Ghost walk off, Sam and Gilly walk up to say goodbye. Ugh. Oh. Ah. Ah. Yeah. And Gilly's pregnant. She talks she about is. naming it John if it's a boy. Cassie, no. John's like the funniest in this scene too because he's like, can people just fucking stop saying my names out loud? Oh my gosh. I do like that Sam was like, yeah, there wasn't really much to do here, so. <laughs> yeah, the Citadel, you know, you can only read so many books, he says. Yeah. Did he say something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, he like, did. I'm like, was that like a diss? Was that a diss track? Thanks, D&D. <laughs> you can only read so many books, nerds. Oh my god. <laughs> I will say that I loved that they were like, you're my best friend, but also I kind of expected them to say, you are my brother. Yeah, because they were brothers. Because they were brothers, and I literally just read these scenes, like, a few weeks ago. Also, like, they were brothers of the Night's Watch, and it's like, Sam's no longer a brother of the Night's Watch, just because, like, now it's gone, I guess. But, like, but, they you were know. brothers. Like, even yeah. in their hearts. Yeah. Anyway. Missandei and Grey Worm, the next scene, cuts to them sharing a hand squeeze on a boat as they uh, start their journey to go take back the throne with their queen. And Tyrion and Varys also discuss who should be king or queen. Missandei and Grey Worm, why you do this? You know what happens after you do this. This is literally... Yeah. There's a lot of characters getting a lot of characterization in the last couple episodes, and I'm like, why? Don't do that. 
I don't want you to do that because then you die. Yeah. Someone's going to die. I mean, someone dies. Sweet retirement plans, bruh. Yeah. Once you plan to retire. What was that tweet? Like, once you'd retire from the hood. Oh, God. No, I don't remember yeah. that tweet. Oh, it's so good. Somebody tweeted, like, you know, you can't just go saying you're going to retire from the hood. That's how you get shot. That's how you get capped. One of you's going to die. Barristan retired. Look what happened to him. Yeah, once you're about to retire, you know, like the, the cop who's like, yeah, I'm about to retire, and then they die. It's always like that. Always like that. No, no matter the culture. This also happens in uh, in some anime that I watch, too. So yeah, that's just how it I've is. I've seen that, too. FMA. Oh, I was thinking psychopaths, but that, too. I just figured since we were on an FMA kick. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Oh, fuck. You're right. Oh, Hughes. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Madison. It's not. Cra- it's not. What was it? It's raining. <laughs> it's raining. Anyway. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Uh, sidetracked. I am about to go on a rant about this conversation that goes on below decks, right? Where Tyrion says, think of the past 20 years, the war, the murder, the misery, all of it, because Robert Baratheon loves someone who didn't love him back. And I'm just like, everyone needs to hold the fuck up right here. (laughs) Everyone needs to shut the fuck up. Because I'm going to rant. You know how Tyrion earlier in the episode is all like, Bran, you know history better than any of us. And I'm like, do you, do either of you know history better than me? Eliana, or better than Jamie Lannister, apparently. <laughs> because, like, my issue is that we keep framing Robert's Rebellion as some sort of, like, Paris and Menelaus, like, Trojan War battle over Helen of Troy, and it wasn't that at all. Yeah. Okay, like, Robert's Rebellion, again, was not built on a lie. Alright, this is like saying that the Blackfire Rebellion started because Damon loved his Daenerys, mm-hmm. and she was, like, married off years before the Rebellion ever started or that rebellion ever started and like this is just again falling into the trap of the songs and we keep being told life is not a song okay because robert's rebellion started not because of any affections robert had for liana though that was definitely a big motivating factor for robert right it started because john aaron called his banners because Ares violated the feudal contract when he decided oh i'm going to execute the Lord Paramount in the North and his heir at the same time, and then I'm going to ask my other Lord Paramount to violate guest right and send me the heads of his wards who are protected by it. And, like, it bothers me that they keep framing it like this because in it's part of the reason that I think viewers feel that the Sansa-Daenerys conflict is so contrived. And I think it part of that, of course, has to do with... Um, and feeling redundant with the Sarsa-Aria conflict last season, which was totally unnecessary. But I do think that there are legitimate reasons for the North to be wary of a Targaryen dynasty come again. And that is, of course, rooted in the beginnings of Robert's Rebellion, okay? And not in a fucking love thing, which, of course, they're setting up because of, like, John and Danny. But it wasn't that. It was the deaths of Rickard and Brandon Stark, right? It was... It was that loss of northern autonomy and that Ares was able to do this to them and everyone stood by. And then like Sansa, if you'll remember, had to watch her father die because the North like couldn't hold that power of the throne in that moment. Like she was a Brandon Stark watching her father die in many ways in that moment. And I think this is my rant. No, I mean, Sansa sees what the North has suffered. This this is it. Like, every single episode, this whole entire underlying theme of Northern independence is what we're hearing, right? Like, in the end, North has to be independent for any of this to fucking matter, any of the loss to be, because 
this is it. Like, this is what they're losing from battling the others. This is what they've lost from going south. All of these feelings. And you see it highlighted when Sansa stands up with Theon, you know, when Theon hugs her and pledges to the north. You see it then. You see all of this loss. And I love that the way they wrote this, yes, Sansa, they kind of don't know what to do with her, I feel like. But they also have written her pretty smartly this season. And she's been a big political player. And I hate that season five and season six were dedicated to, like, the Ramsay plot because it completely undercuts all of the weight of Sansa being this political player and seeing what horror comes to these houses that support the throne. I mean, Sansa was a prisoner of war of the Iron Throne. Sansa doesn't believe in the Iron Throne. She wants nothing to do with it. Yeah. She wants Northern independence because when you're a prisoner of the Iron Throne, you get what happened to Sansa and what happened to Ned, what happened to Brandon, what happened to Rickard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that that's perfectly acceptable, and I think that the show is missing a beat and really undercutting Sansa's motivations by not bringing that back up. Yeah, absolutely. So Tyrion, of course, comes back to the idea that Davos, Varys, and Tyrion talked about earlier this season of marriage between Danny and Jon, but Varys actually says some interesting things. He says the North would never accept the incest of it, of the aunt and nephew, and that's a big deal. The show finally is hitting some of these points all of a sudden. Like, uh, why can't they get married? Oh, because it's incest? Wow. That's great, especially after the abominations that sat the throne, right? After everybody pretty much that's anybody knows Cersei Lannister and her children are uh, not exactly cutting the clean line on the throne. They kind of just have the grown out the they kind of just have the throne out of like fear right now from other people. <laughs> Yeah, they do. They're not any Baratheon-esque at all, obviously. Then we have Varys worrying about Danny's sanity. Yeah, real light, he just starts hinting, I just worry about her sanity. And uh, it's kind of sad that that happens before what follows, because a lot of her sanity's gonna get chipped away at. Yeah. (sighs) And, you know, it begins... Almost literally the next scene. Uh, literally out of fucking nowhere. This is like, this is probably one of the most, like, suspension of disbelief. I didn't like the way they did this, only because it just, like, shot to the scene and then it happened. Uh, you could have just had, like, a, a half a minute more of, like, flying around or showing the ships or something. But you're in Greyjoy Attacks, and Lady Bird called it this week when she talked about it for our Season 8 Episode 3 Q&A that's up on Patreon and Podbean. The ambush on the way to Dragonstone. Yeah, that's at AK Ladybird on Twitter. And she had speculated that perhaps we'll have an, again, ambush on Dragonstone, kind of like the way Aegon II camped out on Dragonstone, infiltrating it during the Dance of the Dragons and, you know, got the jump on Rhaenyra. And I do think that the idea of, you know, assuming that the showrunners are hearkening back to this, that it is an interesting idea because then it is putting Daenerys, of course, as we've always kind of speculated during a dance or whatever, as that sort of mad queen in the context of Rhaenyra. I do not think Daenerys is mad, and I do think that there's very much a narrative that's being painted of that, and I do think that is, of course, always been a question. Again, as we said, madness and greatness, how far is the difference between it, the madman and a king? And I, 
because I, in my essay, like very much am heavily wedded to the idea of Daenerys being a Shakespearean tragic hero, believe that she cannot be mad because I don't think that madness is part of what creates tragedy. It has to be her making these decisions of her own volition and fault that would eventually lead to that downfall. But I do think that like it, it, it is interesting to see that parallel because Rhaenyra is painted as Magor with teats and mad when I'm like, how are you going to be out here calling her mad when you literally have Aemon one eye on the other side on his fucking pile of skulls? And I just, I think it's interesting. Like, why aren't we saying, oh, what if John's mad? Right? Maybe John is mad because he didn't fucking say bye to his dog, okay? Fire and Blood really illustrates that, and I think George is doing that on purpose to show us this kind of nuance and this gray quality that Rhaenyra started off as the realm's delight, and you see her descent, you see the things that put her where she is and in the mindset that she is and defending what she has left as she loses everything around her in the dance. And... uh, Cersei in the show is doing a great job to paint that as uh, being very cruel and awful per usual and just being Cersei and whatever in the show. She uh, She's worse than Daenerys. Like, you have to remember that Cersei just blew up the sap because she didn't want to deal yes. with her consequences or problems. <laughs> like, Cersei commits all these crimes and then hides it by committing mass fucking explosions. Uh, and it really hammers home and hurts that as soon as we start this scene and it's so quick... Rhaegal is just murdered through the neck. My stomach was just, ugh. It did hurt me. Like, the yeah. first one sucked. The second thingy from Euron's machine bow thingy. What are they called? The scorpions. Yeah. Yes, the, the scorpions. scorpions. And Euron's, of course, is decorated differently. I thought that was cool with the squid uh, tentacles and the, the crow's eye. That was a great thing. If you rewatch that, take a look at Euron's specific mm. one. But Rhaegal gets murdered through the neck. It hurts my stomach. I was just like, oh, that makes me sick. He flops into the ocean and they start attacking the ship next. Daenerys doesn't even really have time to think, but you see her face contort and her rage happen as she screams down at Euron. And I'm mad that the dragons didn't just, she didn't have Drogon lose fire. Then I wish she just would have flown up around and then done it. But I get it. I get it. It was a very bad situation. It was, uh, it was interesting. And a little too rushed. It was rushed. I I think I just was like, why didn't they counter it the same way that I felt with Tyrion and Jamie in the tavern? But whatever, you know, we gotta stretch this out. I did I did think that the scene where the scorpions hit the ships was pretty intense. I was like, yeah, I guess they don't have cannons, so that was interesting. Yeah, and it's pretty well done. Euron gets a dragon, huh? Interesting. In a way, he does. Yeah, I'm interested to see if this translates at all in the book. It might. He might kill a dragon. I mean, it's obviously that he's very dragon-oriented right now in the books. Is a kind of a... He wants to get the dragon queen, and you know he wants a dragon. He really doesn't probably care about having sex there that much. With whom? With, with Cersei? With Daenerys. Oh, yeah. I don't think he cares about having sex with no, Daenerys. No, he just wants a dragon. Which is really fascinating. pirate-ass you know? ice zombie bitch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Great, great facial expressions on his uh, part. Yeah, Pilot's kind of handsome. Part. I'll give him that. I was like, oh, oh. handsome. Okay, okay, Pilot. Okay, Daddy, Zaddy. Okay, cut my, never mind. Cut my tongue right. out, Zaddy. Oh my god. Oh my so, god. The ships are attacked. The crew gets shipwrecked. Right, and uh, of course, Missandei's nowhere to be found. Yes, and I, I was afraid she was dead. 
this was worse. Yeah. But I felt for Grey Worm in this moment, and it just gets drawn out and is worse. But before then, we have Euron seducing Cersei because he's like, he, I killed a dragon. And she's like, ah, I'm pregnant. <laughs> you can see all of this on Cersei's face. Lena He's expressions killed as Kyburn and the mountain are in the background. But Cersei's like, yes, and I'm pregnant with your prince who's going to rule the seas and the lands and unite it all. The kraken in the sea, the lion in the lands. Yay, smile. Yes, touch my belly. I love you too. Oh, yeah. I, I will say I forgot Kyburn's voice sounded like that. <laughs> I was like, who's this old woman next to Cersei? And then like we pan over. I'm like, oh, that's that's Kyburn yeah. speaking. Fascinating. Uh, anyway, um, I do forgot who said this. Someone pointed out on Twitter. It's Robert Baratheon bait and switch all over again. Uh, it's what Cersei's best at, apparently. I mean, sure. <laughs> Gotta yeah. be good at something, girl. Euron <laughs> says Danny is coming for her, and Cersei orders the gates open to let all the thousands of innocents in because she thinks Danny would never kill the people of the city she wants to rule, the innocents. So she goes to leave her balcony room area place. She... Then has this dramatic line, so much for the breaker of chains, and it pans out to Missandei, cuffed in her room, because Cersei hasn't fucked up enough women of color in the show at this point in the story. You know, we get it. She's evil. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. Uh, 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 yeah, obviously Missandei is all Danny has left, but also, really? Cersei, is this your thing? Westeros is so fucking racist. Yeah, I mean, like, you see it in the way that they refer to the Dornish. Yeah. They're very xenophobic amongst one another, mm -hmm. I think, in general. Oh, agreed. Because even, even like, the way that people refer to the Ondals and the First mm -hmm. Men, all one another. But anyway, then we have another war council. Mm -hmm. This one's on Dragonstone. Danny is mad. She mad. But not that kind of mad. <laughs> She's just enraged at this moment. She's very incensed. She wants to murder burn the city and get Missandei back for obvious reasons and avenge the death of her son, her child, Rhaegal. It's not really her son, you know, they're, you know, changeable as the flame. Oh my god. Varys. They are! Varys is like, don't do it, lol. And he like warns her against it. He's like, I would not be telling you this, your grace. I would never. I told you I would look you in the eye if I did not agree with something you did. And Daenerys is like, I will try once more to be the good guy, even though it won't happen, because Cersei's a bitch. And everyone knows, or everyone will know that it's Cersei who caused this, not me. Like, it's not me. I'm like, I don't think that's how narratives work, but like, you know, good going, good try. Um, I do think it's interesting that the way that these scenes are, we have had nighttime scenes, of course, with Danny on Dragonstone before, but it reminds me of how there have been other people, I don't remember who, I'm sorry, I really should be paying credit here, between Danny and Stannis, mm -hmm. like, making those comparisons. And I think that the directing and the cinematography are giving us some mm -hmm. of that here, because when Danny first came to Dragonstone, a lot of those scenes were shot in daylight, and it was a much more hopeful-looking war room and it looked so different from the scenes where Stannis had his councils by night and by fire and relore but now Danny's scenes very much look a little similar to his and they're at nighttime. I would like to say I am one of those people thanks uh okay credit to you <laughs> I will take some props, of this cookie props. I will eat a little bit of the credit cookie no uh I've always thought that Danny served as a great analog after Stannis and something poor Quentin from Nauticast and I have been chatting about this week is Stannis is a direct warning in Daenerys and Jon's mm -hmm. plots for what's to come, a warning against what route to take. And Stannis, of course, you have that great line, you know, Davos, I was putting the cart before the horse. It's Danny 
going north and saving the north from the whites with her dragons and knowing that she has flesh made flame and that she is the chosen one to do this in her mind, right? I mean, there's all this prophecy, as we know, that everyone is built up thinking that this is their thing. Look at Rhaegar and how he died. Uh, he was obsessed with making sure that the prince that was promised was coming from the right line, yada, yada. So Stannis kind of serves as that analog warning, right? And of course, him burning Shireen in the show shows you that what does fire do? It consumes. And uh, dragons don't mm-hmm. plant trees, as we know. So I think that that is a great catch on the cinematography. Absolutely. They are definitely showing the shadowy looks in the war council room. And there's even that kind of that cold, stiff feeling in the council room. Tyrion Mm. immediately kind of is in the throne room of Varys. Varys King's Landing, but dark, right? Like this is like dark mode. Uh, He's with Varys and he is saying, you know, I'm uh, he's defending Daenerys saying she's our ruler and she's going to change the world. And Varys is like, who do you think is the better ruler? Really? Yeah, and Tyrion's saying, like, just because he has a cock doesn't make him the better ruler. And Varys is like, well, actually, that does fucking matter. And what Varys is essentially saying is having a male heir matters in the eyes of Westeros. Mm -hmm. And I think that this very much reminds me of that idea of Varys setting up this narrative and the trappings of power surrounding Aegon, the books. Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge thing because Aegon's definitely going to take that throne far before Daenerys can. And this absolutely had those Blackfire vibes, even with that earlier inkling of the possibility of the parallel with Darren. Uh, it just reminds me that this is totally the Blackfire plot leaving its traces, and I can't wait for these damn books. And then, of course, Varys tells Tyrion where his loyalties have always laid to the realm of Chorus. Yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah, uh, interesting they're giving him lines. Does that mean, like, Varys dead confirmed? Daenerys gonna roast him? Because he's causing trouble. I mean, probably he's. She probably will in the books too. Oh, yeah. Like especially oh, yeah. if he's like in Cl- Camp Blackfire. Oh yeah, no, Illyrio and Varys. Those are going to be some satisfying Daenerys roasts. And that's the thing is in yeah. the books, you know, she is going to have to burn her way back to Westeros. She has Pentos and Volantis and Marine, and you know, she's all these cities she has to deal with. She has Karth possibly. Uh, she's going to burn her way back to Westeros and leave kind of a path. And we're going to see it firsthand in her POVs and we understand why she does it. But from the outside, that's not what it's going to look like to other people. There's major fire and blood Targaryen woman getting passed over vibes happening here. I really understand Mm -hmm. why George has said, you know, like fire and blood, maybe Daenerys should have read it. Uh, I'm interested to see where they're taking this because I'm kind of feeling like there's a lot of fire and blood shit in here. A lot. Just like casual. I don't mean like exact plots, but they, they obviously... Probably took a couple uh, sneak peeks at other things in the in the series from him, for sure. And I love that Varys brings up the small folk of the realm, because not only is there that feudal contract for the kings and queens to the noble people, but there's also the feudal contract between the noble people and their common folk and protecting their small folk. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, they, they sign this in their royal blood or their noble blood, right? Like, you get the perks of being a high lord or being a king or queen, but you also, with those perks, are supposed to take care of these people. Exactly. And I think, you know, especially now that you're bringing up Fire and Blood, it kind of reminds me of... We get a split second of this scene in episode three in the big battle, but it's not exactly the same. And there are shades that are starting to feel sort of the storming of the dragon pits. 
to me. I did see someone on Twitter say, what if Daenerys gets to King's Landing and the small folk kill her dragon? And I don't think it'll happen, but that would be wild. Yeah, it would be wild. Um, hey, it's happened once before. Yeah. Process. Then we come back to the north in the Winterfell courtyard with Sansa Brienne and Jamie, and then uh, bedchambers. Eventually, the bedchambers. Yes, we we end up there. Oh, we end yes. up there, uh, and back in the courtyard. So uh, we have a little journey here ahead of us. Sansa gets the news of the Dragonstone ambush really fast. Raven, while Winterfell is kind of being repaired and tended to around them, I thought that was a neat detail. Just like there are people in the background saying, like, oh, get this, get that, and doing things, and people doing, you know, getting the food and getting the water. And I don't know, it was cool to see Winterfell operating and Sansa being the lady. Uh, I always love yeah. those little scenes. We don't get a ton of them, but they're nice what we get. Jamie follows both Sansa and Brienne trying to eavesdrop, and Sansa allows Brienne to tell him, because Jamie, you're, you're that bitch. You swore an oath. You're supposed to be Sansa's other protector. But turns out you've been just like fucking off for the past however many years. Oh yeah, that's right. I guess he said he was going to. It do really that. bugs me yeah. that he swore that oath time ago. to Catelyn, and I'm just saying that like he swore that oath to Catelyn, and then he was just like, "Hey Brienne, can you do my homework for me for a year? Here's a fancy sword. Like, go do my work for me. Bye." Uh, I'm just saying, just saying. Here we are. At least they banged. Yeah. That's all I wanted. Uh, <laughs> that's again, all I like, did we love it? It was good. It was yeah. good. Sansa was good. says to Jamie, kind of insensitive. I really didn't notice this actually uh, until like rewatching that she always wanted to be there when they executed his sister, and it's too bad she won't get a chance. And then it pans over to Bramie again. But I was like, "Damn, Sansa." I mean, true though, true. Yeah, I mean, she's not the only Stark sister saying yeah. that. Throwing that out there. It's definitely a thing that Arya and Sansa have in common, but Arya's more like, I wanted to be the one to execute her. But there is, of course, I think kind of a parallel to maybe Cersei saying that she wished that she could have been there to see the dragon die. I wonder if we're supposed to be reading that oh, yeah. into the episode. I could see that. Um, again, is it's it that, that deep? I don't know. probably not that deep, but we could say it is. It's smart, though. Yeah. I mean, they should take it from you. They should pay you for it. Oh, should HBO oh, show God. money. So oh, we pan over to the next scene where Jamie is sitting at the foot of his bed, examining his golden hand. Brienne is asleep in bed, and Jamie is obviously making a choice. He steals off into the night, but Brienne wakes up and follows, and then Jamie throws rocks at her like Arya did with Nymeria, but verbally. Yes, I do think that's what it was, and uh, it hurts. It hurts bad. If you're if you're unfamiliar with the Valonqara prophecy, which I assume, I don't know, people who are listening to us are familiar with it because we're based heavily <laughs> on the books. Um, for people unfamiliar with that, and of course maybe for Brienne, it seems like Jamie is drawing all these comparisons between him and Cersei as though like he's trying to be with her, but he's like not, he's not trying to save her. I don't know what he, like we, we know what's probably going to go down, but... So Jamie, you know, he basically tells her, I'm horrible, I'm hateful, I'm the worst, you know, I'm garbage, my sister's garbage, I've done horrible things to be with her and go back to her, I'm never gonna change, I'm always gonna be problematic, I have to leave, like, I can't be with you, Brienne, it's not like that. And Gwendolyn Christie, when she cries, we cry, God damn it! and that was a scene that was the most ugly Brienne cry, it was beautiful, it was so sad, it was so heartfelt. 
I'll never be whole again after watching the Kingslayer dump my daughter. Truly a wrecking scene. Uh, I could see it happen in the books as well, very easily. I mean, they, they probably spend a little bit of time during the Stoneheart stuff together, but in the end, he's always going to go back to Cersei to finish how it began. They have to go out together. A lot of people are really pissed about this, but I did you think they were going to have babies? Or, like, get married? Like, this is a Song of Ice and Fire, not Harry Potter. This is not... This is it. Like, shit's gotta go down, dude. And this is in the books. It's prophesied. It's time. Let's go, Daddy. Daddy Lannister, take her down. Go out with her. Yeah. Go out together as you came into this world. I will say that Gilly trying to name her next kid John is pretty fucking Harry Potter. Yeah, that is, for sure. But, I mean, I think it's probably gonna be like this, you know. Jamie's got... He's got business. Mm -hmm. He's a businessman. Speaking of people dying and executing. Uh, The execution of the whole thing, really. Yes, truly. That brings us, of course, to the closing of this episode. And first, I'm going to say that this standoff reminds me, again, of Danny at Marine, especially with the sending out of a messenger. And I'm just going to throw it out there. Maybe if we had had strong Bellwas... Like, things would have gone a little differently, or at least there would have been a better parlay. I will not be stopped. Um, I would never stop you. It, thank you. Um, I have a slight fanficish moment that is obviously not going to happen, but, like, because, you know, it does give me those marine vibes, and remember they, like, snuck in through the mm-hmm. sewers. Like, what if they had Arya with them going in through, like, all the, like, little underground tunnels and sewers of King's Landing to go take care of Cersei? Like, that's not what's going to happen. Maybe. maybe I don't know. Maybe like they'll maybe they'll do it later. I don't know. Fucking anything, anything could happen. Anything could yeah, happen. Anything, dude. I mean, she killed the Night King. She could kill Cersei. That's easy. Yeah, that's mode. true. That's true. the The Night King was easy mode. Yeah. Are Are you saying Cersei's easy mode compared to the Night yeah, King? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I mean, it's anyone's yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. Thank <laughs> you for just like supporting this I for me. Um, but anyways, so these are thoughts. These are thoughts I have. Uh, you know, one of our friends, Sid's mom, dog plant no trees, which is a very clever play about uh, dragons plant no trees, I think, and I hope. She said, did Danny and her small team in front of the gates at King's Landing remind you of Danny when she got to Karth? That's a great parallel because she was, she had nothing then and now look at her, you know? Mm, yeah. And, you know, I did, I did read in an interview that Kit, you know, not being there yet, John not being there yet, that it took two weeks in between him leaving Winterfell and going by foot. So with that, her paranoia and like her loneliness grows. She's stuck with Tyrion yeah. and Varys. She has to ruminate on it and like one of her advisors is afraid of her, the other one is planning treason. Yeah. It's going great. Things are going great in her it's camp. Horrible. And so Tyrion first off tries to reason with Kyburn. He's like, "You're a reasonable man, Kyburn." Um, is he? Kyburn's like, I- Kyburn thinks he is, <laughs> or he says so. I'm not important at all. I just really want everyone to know that I very much dig Kyburn's cowl, like the very, very nice sculptural folds along the shoulders and neck. Yeah, it's like very the cute. dark maester outfit. You know, it's like a, mm-hmm. it's like a dark mage maester outfit. I like it. Very uh, Louis, really but not. It's ex Maester Kyburn at your service. Yeah. Have you noticed that people have been wearing color again this episode? Yeah, it's very weird. Cersei's red dress is like fucking killer. And Daenerys's red dress during the feast is awesome. Yeah. And Sansa, of course, is wearing her promotional dress with the uh, the first mm-hmm. scales. And that was awesome. I just very, uh, very BDSM, but good for her. 
Good for her. Yeah, people are wearing colors yeah, again. Sansa's very been like, very like classier hot topic this season, and I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, hot topics aesthetic is different now. Everyone should read the, these articles about how hot topics different. I gotta Anyways. check it out. So, yeah, it's different. Tyrion tries to reason with Cersei. Lol. <laughs> these are just like saying it out loud. Is like, yep, he did that. Yep, and then. All of the parlaying, all of these this, these negotiations do not work. And then Cersei gives Missande a chance to uh, give some last words. She says Dracarys. Yeah. Um, so good. Some fucking Braveheart shit. Yeah, it was effective. It was a, it was a great line. If they had to kill her off, I think it was compelling. You know, but it, it does suck. Like it's heart wrenching because these are the people. That helped motivate Daenerys to go home mm-hmm. and take back her home just to keep her going. She's so tired. It reminds me of Catalan's chapters. You know, she thinks, I just wanted to rest. You know, I just want to rest for a day. And these people are the people that are grounding her and keeping her on her mission. And one by one, she's losing them. Yes, absolutely. And I understand it being Daenerys has lost Jorah at the beginning of this episode, then she loses Rhaegal, then she loses Masande, and I think you can definitely see that the um you can definitely see that the show is very much highlighting Daenerys' increasing isolation and therefore desperation, especially as her troops like diminish. I do think um there's a lot of criticism out there, and I'm gonna address it of killing off Masande especially in service of the character development of Daenerys and perhaps even Grey Worm. And you'll see the term fridging, mm. which comes from in an issue of, I believe, Green Lantern, where he comes home and he finds his wife stuffed in a fridge, dead. And it's this idea of killing off especially female characters in service of male characters' character development, like sacrificing them for that. And I think that there's a lot of valid criticism for the death of Missande. I will say, of course, like, you know, you're seeing people who are women of color, people of color, um, kind of falling on both sides. Like, I want to emphasize that people of color, like, we're not a monolith in terms of our opinions. I do think it rubs me the wrong way. I'm not, a f- I'm not super jazzed about it, but I understand that. You know, this was part of isolating Daenerys. Like, you'll see there are some Twitter, uh, there's some people on Twitter whose opinions that I really respect on things like this, such as like Wikipedia Brown, aka eViewing. And she says that, you know, she doesn't love it, but it's very much part of like a pattern of what D&D have been doing. And she's not like offended by it. She thinks that it makes sense for the story and that the death that Missandei received was very Stark-esque, right? Harkening back to Ned Stark's death. But you'll also see some other people on the other side, like Saladin Ahmad and um, maybe even like Fangirl Jean, if you follow her, saying that, yeah, it wasn't great that like they killed off the last <laughs> woman of color in the show for the white woman's like character development. And I think that if it had maybe just been this, that would have been fine. But the fact that A, she's the last, and B, we have a pattern of these issues not being handled the best. Like I think that the handling of sending out the Dothraki and the Unsullied mm-hmm. before the rest of all of the Winterfell troops to die for strangers in this strange land wasn't, I think, the best optics. I think that 
I love the scene of like the fires going out. That definitely shows like the hope going out. But like that's not yeah. That that wasn't the most sensitive, especially because we see Daenerys like she only really interacts with Grey Worm amongst her troops, and she doesn't really confer with the rest of her Dothraki generals. We don't see that personal connection that she has again, that cultural connection that she has with the Dothraki ever since losing Drogo. So. Yeah, it just feels like they were just like chips that she could just cast out. You know, it didn't feel personal anymore after losing those commanders from the Dothraki that she used to have. There was never a reconnect after season six. And I feel like the groundwork that season five and six did not lay for this last couple Mm -hmm. seasons really is showing in this last season. And it goes right back to me and you saying like, well, we're not going to get it otherwise. So we'll take it how it is. Yeah. I mean, if they had had like all this legwork in there, maybe it would have been fine. I just think that, you know, we're suddenly being like, oh, but what about mm-hmm. the small folks' lives and all the people's lives of who are going to die? And it's like, mm, but what about the people? Like all the small folk that suddenly live around King's Landing randomly? Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, it just feels off to me. And like, I think it's complex and it wouldn't have been so bad if it weren't part of a larger mm-hmm. a cultural pattern where you see it happening and be part of a pattern in which you know we criticize the show for not having women writers yeah. and i think i'm going to criticize the show for not also having like people of color mm-hmm. in the writer's room like and i think that it's coming through and in many ways those holes in the narrative and delivery of the show mm-hmm. are starting to sh- to appear absolutely if you're not a big book reader and you're just listening to us for the show, I know we reference the books a lot. I hope it just adds depth to your listening experience. If you are a show-only fan, uh, we welcome all people to this, but we do talk about the books, obviously. And uh, I wanted just, as we send off Missande, because it was a very amazing job from her actress to uh, just the yes. emotions on her face and that last word. Dracaris, that was powerful in my opinion i really mm-hmm. i know this was a rush job obviously this whole season is a rush job look at the the short night but uh this death while it had some inappropriate kind of framing around it there and we obviously need some diversity on our tv shows especially hbo it's like come on man just imagine what you could be but i digress uh i'd love to do a little send-off with a couple of my favorite passages just that are about Danny and Missande's relationship because Missande was one of her closest companions who she she shared her hopes, her dreams, her fears, her desires. She wanted to keep her safe. Uh, it, it was a really beautiful friendship in the books and on the show. Absolutely. I mean, she freed her and it's very sad that Missande died back in chains. Danny stroked the girl's hair. Say the word, my sweet, and I will send you from this awful place. I will find a ship somehow and send you home, to Nath. I would sooner stay with you. On Nath I'd be afraid. What if the slavers came again? I feel safe when I'm with you. Safe. The word made Danny's eyes fill up with tears. I want to keep you safe. Missande was only a child. With her, she felt as if she could be a child too. No one ever kept me safe when I was little. Well, Sir Willem did, but then he died, and Viserys. I want to protect you, but it's so hard to be strong. I don't always know what I should do. I must know, though. I am all they have. I am the queen, the... the... Daenerys too. a dance with dragons. You sad yet? Oh, I'm sad. And I think it's a perfect quote for 
the the dilemma I think that mm-hmm. Danny's also going through here, but for both for their relationship. Yeah, there is the passage in Danny eight in a Dance with Dragons, a Dawada, affectionately named. I thought we needed a Dawada. I thought that would make you smile a little. I kind of, yes, I kind of forgot that. I'm glad that you brought well, it back. I just wanted to make you smile because I know like Thank you're you. probably real depressed right now, and so am I. So uh, we need it. Yeah. So get ready. Here we go. Uh, this is where Daenerys requests Missandei to come talk to her. If it please you, Missandei sat down beside her. What shall we talk of? Home, said Danny. Nath, butterflies and brothers, tell me of the things that make you happy, the things that make you giggle, all your sweetest memories. Remind me that there is still good in the world. Missandei did her best. She was still talking when Danny finally fell to sleep. To dream queer, half-formed dreams of smoke and fire. <sighs> Danny ate a dubada. Oh my god. Sorry to ruin the moment, but that, that right there is a lot. That, Worth again, it. very yeah. framing of what we're dealing with. Danny, Daenerys' heart is broken again this episode for the third time. As the mountain slices off Missandei's head, and she looks ready to rain down fire and blood per Missandei's last word, Dracarys, on the Lannister regime. Yes. <sighs> that was it. That was the, uh, that was the episode. Well, that was an episode. That's episode four. We have a... I need a cigarette after that, like a cigar. I need like five cigars. Just yeah. light them up, pop them in. You have the calm before the storm, and then a bunch of drizzling. Next week is going to be a fucking the drizzle. Winds. Is next week going to be a drizzle? Is it not going to be a storm? I don't know. It's going to be swords. a shit storm. I'm uh, I'm interested to see what happens on the internet. There's a lot of people that are upset right now, so I'm just gonna stand there. It's uh, I've been using the gift from Mean Girls where Regina George is standing in the middle while all the girls freak out over the burn book pages. Oh my god. That's me, sitting here just in the middle going, hmm, chaos is a ladder. Chaos is a ladder. Oh. And you, a shadow, snarling in the midst oh of Oh my god, all. that was like three different references. I loved it. Wow. Wow. Look at us. Fucking. The last of the Starks. That's them. The four of them. Which actually is quite a lot. I'm gonna throw that out yeah. there. Three to four Starks is actually pretty fucking good. I mean, good. there were fewer left over from the Rebellion. There were only like two, so. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like... That that's an equal amount to the Lannisters at the moment. They're doing good. It is. It's more than the. It's more than like the Martells. It's more than the Tyrells. It's more than the Tullys. More than the Arryns. They're doing you have great. Sansa, Arya, Bran, and you have Tyrion, Jaime, and Cersei. Mm-hmm. Wow. They're actually doing pretty good. Yeah, the the Lannisters have been there. prospering. I'm very surprised. So I feel like we're gonna have some uh some Lannister downfalls coming our way, one way or another. Mm-hmm. Lion and the wolf. Yes. Well, Eliana, that was a blast. I'm very sad. Uh, I think overall, I give this episode at least a seven or eight, if not more. I I think that the dramatic moments were compelling. The character moments were compelling. The acting was believable. The music moments were very good. Uh, There were a couple moments I could do without, but as far as Game of Thrones episode on a Sunday night goes... It did the damn thing. You know, I sat back. My shackles were released. I don't think the show hurts me anymore. Thank God it's like two episodes to the end. So that took fucking long enough. Uh, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to enjoy the last two episodes for what they are and hope for the book soon. Exactly. And I mean, yeah, 
7, 7.5. I think it just needed more. Everything that it needed were things that wouldn't have happened in mm-hmm. this episode, right? They were things that would have happened before a setup. I feel vindicated right yeah. now in my essay. I'm just going to throw it out there. I feel vindicated in the I feel... essay I still haven't put out. Yeah, and I think that's all I really ask for out of anything in life. To feel vindicated. Selfish. Wrong. I'm right. I swear I, I'm I swear right. you knew it all okay, along. I'm right. I swear yeah. I'm right. I knew it all along. I actually did. For flawed, four years, apparently. up so well. You are editing I'm the seeing... doc and you are reading to yourself. I don't know. Oh my god. <laughs> Thank you everyone for letting us do this. <laughs> you guys let us do this. We upload it every week and somehow you have not reported it. Oh my god. <laughs> Please don't report us. We adore that you're listening to yeah. us. Hey, uh, if if you're a cop, you have to tell us. If you're us. a cop, you have to legally tell us. Why? Do, what? Uh, you guys, thank you for listening. We're kind of barreling along this journey, and I'm glad we started doing Game of Thrones episodes this season. This has been a blast. If you like these episodes, we also do a regular A Song of Ice and Fire read-through, but it's not so regular. It is from the point-of-view character by point-of-view character. We read through all POV chapters one character at a time. Right now we're on Jon Snow, so we're in it for the long haul, and I think we have some interesting takes mm-hmm. after the end of this show for sure, so check that out. That comes oh, yeah. out to the public on Fridays. You can check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and Acast. Throwing it out there, you do not have a new John episode this coming Friday or this week, but you will have another new John episode picking up again with John 9 on May 15, 16, and 17. But you know what is out there right now? John 8, where we talk about Maester Aemon, which I think is actually a very good chapter to read in conjunction with this past episode. We did that together with Joe Magician. He's a great friend of ours and a great theorist. He nailed the spiral theory on Game of Thrones, so definitely tune in for that. Yeah, really good. And uh, yeah, a a Targaryen alone is a terrible thing. So if you hang out with us during our John chapters, you will hear more about that, I'm sure. Uh, Make sure to check us out on Patreon. We have a Patreon Patrons get some special access to some special episodes. They're very good. They're very fun. We had a blast with Manu, Manuclear Bomb from A Scene of Ice and Fire. Oh, what was that? A couple weeks ago for our April Patreon episode here. So tune into that. Uh, $5 and up patrons get that. And hey, if you don't have any money to support us, we don't care. You could just listen every Friday. We're here, you guys. We are very happy to have you hanging out with us. Yes. And hey, if you like us, leave us a comment on iTunes. A rating on iTunes, we'd appreciate that. But if not, you know, send us send us some takes over on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter or at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. As you'll see, we read some of these aloud and they bring us great joy. They bring Eliana a lot of joy. She's very happy all the time. <sighs> they bring you I don't great like joy. Things, especially not this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As always, I'm Chloe. Mm-hmm. You guys, thanks for listening. And I am Eliana. Goodbye. <laughs>